Welcome to Leaders of Analytics. Leaders of Analytics is about data-driven decision-making, modern business leadership, and the use of data and artificial intelligence in business and society. Each episode investigates the strategies, tools, techniques, and leadership required to succeed in a world increasingly driven by data and analytics. The show's guests share their stories and experiences in a way that helps you understand the big concepts and small details that make all the difference in today's world of business. I am your host, Jonas Christensen, and I hope you enjoy listening to this episode of Leaders of Analytics. Business leaders are changing. Today, it's not enough to be a strategic thinker and a good people leader to be successful in the corporate world. Why? Modern business leaders are customer-centric and understand how to create a personalized customer experience using customer data. Modern business leaders are data-driven and understand how to make decisions based on probabilistic outcomes, not just gut feel. Modern business leaders understand what it takes to develop and deploy artificial intelligence in their organization. So, how do we educate our future business leaders to be analytics literate, technically capable, and able to design and use AI effectively and responsibly? I recently spoke to Hin Benbia to answer this question and many more relating to educating our future business leaders. Hind is the head of the Department of Information Systems and Business Analytics at Deakin University, where she leads the strategic direction of the department as well as academic aspects of teaching, research, and industry engagement. In this episode of Leaders of Analytics, you will learn the critical must-learn skills for students wanting to shape the future of business with data and analytics, the role of data, analytics, and AI in business in the next 10 years, and how today's Business leaders must prepare for that. How we bring today's business leaders and executives up to speed with data and analytics. How analytics leaders can drive their organizations to become truly data-driven and much more. Let's get to it. Here's Hind. Hind Benbia, welcome to Leaders of Analytics. It is fantastic to have you on the show today. Thanks very much, Jonas. Thanks for having me. I am really looking forward to learning from you today because you are an expert in education, but also in education specifically of people in the data and data science space. So this is a topic that's very dear to my heart. How do we train people to become the future leaders of our organizations? That is the topic for today. But before we get to that, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, your career background, and what you do? Sure. My name is Hind Benbia. I'm currently professor and the head of IS and business analytics at Deakin. And I'm also the founder and director of the Center for AI, Artificial Intelligence, and the Future of Business, which is a new multidisciplinary center at Deakin. And I will tell you more about both roles shortly. So in my role, 
as head of IS and analytics, I lead the strategic directions and manage academic aspects of my area. This includes staffing, research, teaching, and industry engagement. So it includes, for instance, ensuring that our area as a leader in digital AI and analytics in Australia and the Asia Pacific recruits and retains the best staff that our teaching is relevant and also connected to industry needs. And that our research not only creates new knowledge that informs our teaching, but it also impacts industry and society. And for my role of director of the Center for AI and the Future of Business, which really brings together a multidisciplinary group of researchers and industry experts with diverse backgrounds. So we have people from a low background, we have data scientists, we have people with an high background business, as well as computer scientists. And the aim really is to be a catalyst for new ideas, insights, and collaborations in order to guide organizations and policymakers about how to leverage AI technologies more effectively. So the center runs events such as our annual AI festival. It leads research projects and runs educational programs. Prior to Deacon, I served as a research chair in digital business and department chair of IT and innovation in MBS, Montpellier in France. I have also been affiliated with a number of faculties in the US and the UK, such as UCLA Anderson Business School, University of Oxford and Cambridge, among others. And before that, I worked as a consultant for many companies in the Silicon Valley in the US, such as Hewlett Packard and Cisco. I worked with IBM in Italy, and I worked in ST Microelectronics in Switzerland and Morocco. That's about me. Yeah, so a very long and impressive background, I must say there. So how did you get into the world of analytics in the first place? Yeah, well, sure. Uh, I initially started, I had a background in marketing and quantitative methods. So my very first master focused on using advanced quantitative techniques and statistics to understand customer behavior. But at the time, technology was changing a lot of things beyond customer interactions. So this is how I wanted to be in a transformational field. And that is how and why I shifted into IT with the second master in information technology before undertaking a PhD. So this is how it's all started. Yeah, okay. So you're a content background as well. So in the might shift to the topic of today, so we sure. get straight into the detail. So you described your role previously there as the department head at the Deakin of Information Systems and Business Analytics, that department, and how you you lead the strategic direction of the department, but also do academic aspects and so on. I'm really interested in uh, what are students learning in the space of business analytics, right from short courses to degrees and PhD programs. What are we teaching students today? What's important? Sure. So first, we were the first in Australia to launch a Master of Business Analytics. And so we have a Master of Business Analytics. We have short courses on business analytics. We have a postgraduate certificate on business analytics, as well as another one focused on artificial intelligence for business. So in terms of business analytics, our graduates cover pretty much the full spectrum, I would say, of analytics from 
descriptive analytics to visualizations and predictive analytics, as well as prescriptive analytics. They really learn advanced skills, including predictive modeling, machine learning, data visualizations, descriptive analytics, as well as statistics. But they also cover what I call the various applications or flavors of analytics in business, especially that this is an area that is becoming specialized and pretty much embedded in every industry. So they cover, for example, illustrations of people analytics, decision analytics, security analytics, among others. That they also learn a number of tools and techniques from Tableau, Python, SQL, among others. And what they do is that they also apply these learning in capstone projects with diverse partners. So they work with different data sets on different problems with different industry partners to apply their knowledge. And the other thing that they do is that they have, most of them go into internships and research projects with diverse partner organizations in industry, as well as not-for-profit organizations. So really, they get into working in real projects with specific problems faced by industry. That's pretty much cover what they cover in terms of analytical skills. So it, it sounds broad and deep at the same time, and, uh, and technical and non-technical uh, as well. And so you, you get to learn coding and tools, but also how to apply that in a business setting. So I'm interested here, what are the critical must-learn skills for students wanting to shape the future of business with data and analytics? And uh, you might say, well, it's all we teach in the course, but if you sort of boil it down into some foundational skills, what would you say that they are? Yeah, well, I think you mentioned the pure analytical skills that we have just covered, the ones related to statistics, programming, the tools and the techniques they need. But they need also to have business acumen as most of the time, they work as translators and problem solvers using analytical skills in diverse business areas. So not only they need to understand the issues faced by different areas, they need to be curious to have problem solving skills. They need to be creative and be able to tell a story with the data. But I believe that more and more, and I don't think this is something covered in a lot of programs, they need to grasp complex thinking principle, which is in a sense a problem-solving skill as well, but it embraces probabilistic thinking, scenario analysis, to embrace the possibility of various choices and different outcomes. Mostly it's never one choice or one decision, it's always different possibilities. So it's important to anticipate these different scenarios. But I believe this is one of the skills that really that's you really find in you know in future leaders, and I believe this one is one of the most important. Aha, uh-huh. this is interesting because one of the things that I think a lot of data scientists and analysts struggle with is they might come up with a recommendation or a prediction based on the data set, which is then taken sometimes as gospel by the business or as a statement of fact, but it's really often a statement of probability. Yes. Getting the stakeholder to realize that can be a bit of a challenge. I I face that challenge regularly, so I know it. What do you teach the students in this space specifically in in terms of them being able to handle those situations well? Yeah, I think they work on different scenarios and decision trees and work on different contexts. And maybe I would call that critical thinking, you know, like not just telling one story, but what may be the outcomes and consequences of that particular situation. 
I think they learn that when they work with people from different backgrounds in different projects, because most of the time it's not just working with the data sets and, and, you know, suggesting various outcomes, but working on problems with different companies and trying to provide various recommendations. So I think they... Those skills are developed when they work with different companies facing different situations. Yeah. Okay. Another uh, adjacent uh, topic is really about the ethics of AI. This is something that uh, I suppose the early big users of AI have never been trained in. So uh, the famous examples are, for instance, developers at Facebook using some data there to do things that may be considered unethical, but they were not thinking about that at the time because they were technical experts, but not experts in ethics, or they haven't even considered those things. But it's becoming increasingly important to consider ethics. What are the topics you're teaching students there, and how are you, I suppose, educating our future leaders and analysts to be using AI effectively and responsibly? Should I say data rather than AI? Well, sure. I mean, you can do that in various ways. Uh, first, analytics and AI are increasingly being integrated in curriculum teaching at all levels and how they can be applied to different business problems. But I think what we did is that for graduates or future business leaders, what we do is that we offer a postgraduate certificate in AI for business. And this was designed specifically to provide graduates with both the knowledge and skills to implement AI, as well as to address the challenges related to responsible and trusted AI. So, of course, they cover the strategic thinking around how do you design AI strategy and how to develop AI products. Uh, they cover machine learning techniques and how do they build, evaluate, and train a machine learning model. But, you know, as just you have said, there are a lot of potential AI, but there are also major concerns around the ethics of AI. And we have seen different instances which... There have been cases of discrimination and bias because the data sets that were used there were pretty much biased. So what we do is that we embed principles of responsible AI in our courses. So managers are aware of how companies can build governance frameworks to protect themselves against AI failures. This includes issues around explainability. There are a lot of framework around explainable AI accountability, topics around data privacy and ethics, as well as they have at least a flavor of the various regulatory frameworks that are emerging from different countries. So given that this is an evolving topic, you know, the regulations change every day and every day we hear about decisions from different countries. I think having a grasp of what's going on around the world, not just in specific countries, is very, very important. Yeah, absolutely. And the legislation is catching up, surely, around the world in this space. But uh, unfortunately, we have had these sort of, uh, I think in a, in a previous episode, I called it the digital oil spill where data has gone out or been used in the wrong way and created issues for, for lots of people that have been uh, adversely impacted. This is a big topic that we could talk about for hours, but uh, I actually want to uh, divert a bit because uh, otherwise we will we will end up talking about it for hours. We've learned now about how you educate students and the sort of typical topics that you cover. I'm interested in your research arm for, of the department. Um, what areas of focus do you have when it comes to research in the space? Yeah, well, 
Interestingly, our research areas are pretty much aligned with our teaching areas. So it's pretty much the same areas. So we focus broadly uh, on three topics or theme, which has the key themes and expertise of our area. One of them is around AI and the future of work. The second is around digital innovation transformation. And the third is business analytics for enhanced decision making. So in terms of analytics, for example, I can cite recent research projects by colleagues. So one of my colleagues, Tumas, have been working in this area around creative analytics. Also, how analytics supports creative decision making. And the objective is really to understand how organizations can make their creative decision processes more evidence-based while retaining the best features of artistic intuition and human creativity. So it's an integration of analytics as well as intuition in the creativity context. Another project is around sustainability analytics and how analytics can support sustainable energy use and emissions reduction of electric vehicles. Other colleagues are working on social media data analytics in tourism marketing. So mostly here the focus is on novel approaches to discover and capture comprehensive information about tourist behavior based on data that is posted by tourists on social media platform. In terms of artificial intelligence, the focus is on developing responsible AI practices, frameworks around ethics of algorithms, and mostly how AI can be leveraged across business and for social good in various industries, from recruiting to innovation to decision making. And finally, the one around digital, emerging techs in general, I can cite research in cybersecurity conducted by colleagues. So, for instance, data breaches can severely damage, as you know, a firm's reputation and its customers' confidence. So the research conducted here suggests ways to address those issues before even they happen. And finally, I can cite also a couple of examples we are doing with practitioners. One of them is developing uh, digital twins and addressing the challenges faced by managers to scale their digital twins projects. And as you know, digital twins is first and foremost a data problem. Of course, you add to it simulations and physics-based models, as well as, you know, analytics and AI, but it starts with data. So the project offers guidelines on designing this, the, dealing with the challenges companies face to develop maturity with digital twins. And... One I can cite another example is around designing digital humans. So here it's really designing digital humans that could, could be accepted, you know, in different companies that, that have that human side. And so as you might see that our research is not only managerially relevant, but it also tackles some of the challenges faced by business and society in general. Yeah, so quite a broad agreement. I think your first few use cases there were very managerial or business focused, but I can see a lot of them there towards the end. They're also perhaps more more technical in nature and also yes. uh, the societal impact uh, shines through. Given that, I think my next question is really relevant. And so how do you see data analytics and AI playing a role in business in the next 10 years? And how must today's business leaders prepare for that? So I think here it's it's important to say that 
while there have been some progress in AI over the last few years, so for instance, we start to see AI and particular machine learning algorithms used across diverse products in various industries. Every day you see an example in finance, in manufacturing, healthcare, in recruitment. We have also moved from separate tasks towards models and applications that not only combine language, speech, but also computer vision. And we see more and more these AI systems that are not only capable of conversing with humans, but they rely on realistic computer-generated avatars that can generate convincing texts. They converse with humans, but they also can account for various human emotions. You know, they recognize when somebody is frustrated or angry. Now, I think despite all of this progress, we're very, very, very far, and I, I count it very, 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 very far from the AI that is promoted in the science fiction realms, which I believe in some sense creates both unrealistic hype and expectations around AI, as well as it creates, I believe, a lot of skepticism from diverse stakeholders. So people have in mind the AI they see in science fiction movies. They don't understand that AI can be both used in very mundane activities as well as could be used for much more advanced activities and for innovation and other things. So I think it's very important first to educate the workforce about both the potential and opportunities of this emergent technology, as well as the challenges and risks they may pose for business. So, you know, the jobless future narrative due to automation did not and will not materialize at the scale and scope that was previously anticipated. But what we're really seeing is a change in the nature of work and how this work is being conducted. And so there is more a need for reskilling of employees and the necessity to work with smart machines because they're here. I mean, there is a, they're not going to go away. There is going to be more and more use of AI in the future. Um, and I think it's important to recognize, to educate leaders that this is not kind of some of a race against machine and we will never have this human or superhuman AI. So it is what it is. It's a complementary tool with its own strengths and weaknesses uh, that leaders need to learn how to harness strategically. So I think that's very important, educating about AI, what it can deliver, and how to address the challenges and risks it might pose for organizations. Yes. So really learn how to use it in your business. Don't be afraid of it. And in your research, you describe the potential of AI in terms of four dimensions or business capabilities. They are automation, engagement, insight or decision-making and innovation. Could you tell us about what these opportunities are specifically and the challenges that AI brings across these four dimensions? Sure. So... What I'm going to share is maybe a few examples here and happy to share with the readers the full articles because there is there is much, much, much there to discuss. And I think we can spend the whole day talking about them and I will not be able to cover them during the whole day. So let me give a few examples. The first one is that AI is not limited to automation. It has the potential to enhance engagement with customers and employees in novel ways to support decision-making, as well as to create novel outcomes. And we see that more and more in diverse industries. So 
Let me start perhaps with an example. Let's take the automation capability, which uh, really revolve around the use of technologies to support what we call structured or semi-structured tasks. So these tasks often are repetitive. They are labor intensive. Some of them might include physical or manual work, but they also more and more include cognitive tasks, thinking, decision-making, and they rely on diverse technologies. So you've got the physical robots, you've got robotic process automation, and more and more the use of machine learning and natural language processing to automate various functions. So this is all good. I mean, we can use AI for automation in various tasks, but we also need to pay attention that uh, it changes the interaction of humans with machine. And we don't know a lot yet about how workers interact, for instance, with physical robots, how they, they're going to alter their routines in order to accommodate robots' movement in the workspace, or given the increasing reliance of automation tools, we don't know how much these technologies might render organizations mindless because they rely too much on these technologies and they are becoming uh, capable of outperforming humans in certain tasks. So we don't know yet a lot about how AI can be incorporated in strategic decision-making or how organizations incorporate AI agents as members of a board, for instance. So these are all, I'd say, let's say challenges or that needs to be developed in the future. We don't know a lot about all of these emerging questions. Now, let's talk about the second capability, the one related to engagement. So organizations design more and more and rely on conversational technologies, which needs to be somehow human-like, have human-like attributes to be accepted. So they need to have a personality, they need to have a form to ensure that the customer experience is enjoyable and effective. But touches on the ethical aspects we mentioned before, assuming that people trust these technologies, would that make them more vulnerable, vulnerable when following the tool suggestion? And how would accountability be managed? So I think these AI technologies more and more are also not only used to understand what individuals and the groups say, their language, but they also how they feel, their emotions, and they respond to human emotions. Now, that also raises ethical questions about whether machines should even display emotions that they don't actually have. So it raises a lot of questions and new challenges from an ethical perspective, from an accountability perspective. So for instance, if we take the decision-making, more and more decisions are automated with machine learning, and that, you know, drives who is responsible for the implications of the actions that are either automated or based on insights that come from AI. And the regulation here differs. So, for instance, if you take just a few weeks ago in the UK, they mentioned that they're going to be relying on, you know, automated vehicles. And that the decision in 2025 and that the decision that is taken is that humans are not going to be accountable, human drivers in case of accidents, but it's going to be the companies that are relying on electric vehicles. So taking decisions around accountability is important, not only from a trust perspective, but also it reduces uncertainty uh, reduction. It reduces uh, 
any questions people might use or might have, again, in terms of decision-making about this technology. So I think these are important decisions and challenges that companies need to come up with concrete frameworks on how to deal with these challenges. Yeah, there's some pretty big gnarly things in that. So just the, the insurance implication of who's uh, responsible for, for certain actions. Uh, you mentioned autonomous vehicles as an example. Of, uh, yes. We've all got the car, well, hopefully people have car insurance uh, of various types, <laughs> a personal liability and uh, whatever else is their damage or whatever it's called. But who's responsible when you're not driving the car? Is it the company or person who issued the algorithm? Uh, so Tesla or, or what have you, or is it the fault of somewhere else? And uh, how do you decide that? And how do you ensure that is very complex, really. So there's quite a lot in that. And I'm interested in how we bring today's business leaders and executives up to speed when it comes to this stuff, because it's not just about understanding or appreciating that the data has value. Everyone's heard the phrases of data is the new oil and so on, but it's the ability to understand how to apply it, but also especially the risk management around it because it is such a different type of risk management. And where I come from, I compare where we are with analytics, AI, machine learning, whatever you want to call it, to where we were maybe, say, 30 years ago when it came to, to IT. So back then, people were getting personal computers sort of en masse, and they were becoming more standard on office desks uh, at home. Internet banking was becoming more popular, and you had to be computer literate all of a sudden to be working in a business. I, I remember my mom going on these uh, courses to learn how to type on a computer rather than typewriter and so on. And back then, many of the senior leaders, executives, they knew that uh, IT was important, but they didn't necessarily have any hands-on experience. Even the, the first CIOs of, of that time, they might not have actually known much about what computers were and how to deal with them and how to use them. And we're a little bit similar today in, in that situation where the boards and executives for big companies, they don't have hands-on experience with building, utilizing analytics and so on. So yeah, to, to frame up the question again, how do we bring today's business leaders up to speed when it comes to this? Yeah, I think, well, first, there are a lot of programs out there to support leaders understand both the advantages of data-driven decision-making and how AI can be used in organizations. I don't think, however, that there is a single path to becoming a data-driven company or an AI-based company. So there is different paths in here. So some firms might focus on building the right data team while others invest in technology or build analytics into their digital project. And it all depends on whether we're talking about a company that is a small or a larger company. However, I believe that like AI, it's important to start small. So you focus on first internal initiatives focused on employees rather than focusing on customer facing and external facing capabilities. You build credibility and show the benefits because there are a lot of skeptics, especially when you talk about AI. If you have people that are skeptical about AI, you cannot just come up with a grand project. You really 
need to start small and use a portfolio approach in which you focus on short-term initiatives while gradually learning and building the skills needed for longer-term initiatives. So I think also it's important to use uh, inappropriate structure. And here again, there isn't one best structure. There are various models, centralized models, center of excellence, dispersed. It really depends on the needs of the organization. So some amount of centralization is necessary because it helps bring efficiency but it all depends on the analytics maturity level in the organization. And I think it's important also to, I mean, a lot of people talk about creating a data culture, which is one of the, the important areas. So uh, if you really want to create a data culture, I, I really like the example of uh, Google as a company here because they really trained um the leaders in the organization and they started small from one era and then they embedded it throughout the organization and people were provided training in order to understand the importance of that. So gradually, you know, they were able to build this uh, data culture because it wasn't focused on a functional area. It was spread. They built that capability throughout and over time while really starting very small initially working on a few initiatives. And I think also one thing that is often important is that to embed people from different business functions so that they come up with what's the area of focus they want to work on. So really just involvement of people from different functions, I think is key also to creating what we call a data culture. Hi there, dear listener. I just want to quickly let you know that I have recently published a book with six other authors called Demystifying AI for the Enterprise a playbook for digital transformation. If you'd like to learn more about the book, then head over to www.leadersofanalytics.com AI. Now back to the show. Yeah, so you've probably seen companies do this well, and you've seen companies with great ambitions not get there, not execute on those ambitions. What are the typical sort of pitfalls and, and roadblocks that you see people stumbling over? How do you avoid those? Yeah, I think it's related to uh, the earlier question. I believe it's a mistake to say today we're going to be a data-driven culture and it's going to be everybody in the company needs to start from day on. We're going to make huge investments in technology and money and everybody is going to do that. I think that's the wrong way to go with it. Pretty much like in AI where you cannot just you know, transform your organization towards an AI organization while you have not proven that it works in a small scale. So it's really take time to develop small initiatives and to prove that they are working and to gradually involve different people and train the leaders so that there is support also from a management perspective and to create that the right culture and structure. So it's really a variety of ingredients out there. I think in terms of pitfall or roadblocks, I think unrealistic expectations around AI and skepticism are one of them. And so really to be able to change people's perspective, you need, especially from management, you need to demonstrate that it works on a small scale and shows benefits. And the other thing I believe is that expecting AI to predict everything. 
like predicting human behavior, I think that's pretty much unrealistic. You always need to integrate data-driven with human judgment uh, and not expect to be able to predict everything and anything. So I think these are some of the pitfalls I have seen along the way with some companies. Yeah, okay. That rings very true to me. And I'm sure a lot of listeners can relate to those points. Before we finish up, I have a couple of questions left, but I'm interested in your unsolicited advice. If you were to give, I suppose, your top three pieces of advice for any uh, business leader out there wanting to really get started on turning their organization into a data-driven organization, what would they be? Well, I think the first one would be to identify where data is used and where it drives value and it creates you know, a difference. So I think that would be one of the areas where to start from. I think building the right data team is also important. And the third one, I would say, uh, not leave that centralized or uh, within just small areas, but I think creating a data culture is also important. Everyone in the organization needs to understand its value. So training people, providing them opportunities to work on projects in their particular areas. I believe all of these three are very important. Yeah, look, I couldn't agree more. One of the things that I talk a lot about to senior leaders in my organization is we need to create the ability to produce analytical output at an advanced level, but also in a systematic way. And we also need to turn the organization into an organization that can consume that output in a similarly advanced and systematic way. So. You need production and you need consumption, and uh, that needs uh, to really uh, come together. Uh, it is a team sport. It's not just technology. It's, it's, it's different. Yes. So we're, we're sort of at the end of, of our questions. I have a couple of questions left. The first one is one I always ask of any guest on Leaders of Analytics, which is who would you like to see as the next guest on Leaders of Analytics and why? So maybe rather than citing people, I think, We don't hear a lot about how analytics and AI are used in some specific industries. So the fashion industry, you know, they're using it to create novel outcomes, skincare, sustainability. But I think that would be the focus of our AI festival this year. It's uh, our AI conference, which is planned end of November. So we're going to see a lot of those topics covered. Now, to suggest to you a couple of guests, I would say, Maybe people analytics to understand uh, engagement, well-being before just, you know, like optimizing existing resources. So maybe David Green for people analytics and Saul Rashidi for AI and analytics in uh, cosmetics and skincare and all of the industries that we don't hear a lot about. I love it. Thank you, Hin. This is really good. I haven't had any of those topics covered on Leaders of Analytics because you are right. It is not something that we hear about often. So uh, I will definitely be reaching out to those too. My last question is, where can people find out more about you, connect with you and get a hold of your content? 
Sure. Well, please connect via LinkedIn or Twitter. I share some of the content there, but I'm happy to share longer versions via email. So yeah, connect via LinkedIn and Twitter. Great. And I'll make sure to also put a link to uh, the research that we discussed earlier in the show notes. So uh, listeners, you can definitely find that there and uh, explore the wonderful world of the research that comes out of Deakin University in Australia. A university of which I am actually a graduate myself, so uh, yeah. I can I can vouch for that university. <laughs> I had a great time there. We had a great uh, alumni join us. Yeah, that's right. So, Hin, thank you so much for your time today. We've learned a lot from you, all of us, uh, myself and listeners, and we wish you all the best with uh, your career and the research that you and the team do at. Deakin University. And lastly, thank you for helping us educate the future of business leadership to be more analytically driven and to really understand and appreciate the wonderful world of AI. Thank you very much, Jonas, for this lovely conversation. And yes, let's keep in touch and let's the conversation keep the conversation ongoing. Pleasure, you know, having this conversation with you. Thanks again. So we've got a number one deluxe meal. Is there anything else I can get you? Yeah, I'd also like a good night's sleep. Maybe something like the I didn't struggle all night with my uncomfortable CPAP mask. Sir, I think what you're looking for is Inspire. It's an implant that works inside your body to treat sleep apnea without a CPAP. Come on. He sounds angry. Inspire, sleep apnea innovation. Inspire is not for everyone. Talk to your doctor to see if it's right for you. And review important safety information at InspireSleep.com.